Welcome to Access Answers and Happy New Year. I'm your host, Julia Vergara, along with Angela O'Pry, and we're excited to introduce you to our first guest of 2022. This month, beginning of the year, we're excited to have Tina Gybeson. I'm going to go ahead and say she's the single most interesting person, interesting woman that works at Access Sciences, possibly that I've ever met. Um, there's so much to talk about and learn about with Tina. We just got to visit with her in person in Baton Rouge. Her official title with Access Sciences is the Senior Records Analyst, but she does way more than that. And we're so excited to hear from you today. Well, thank you, Angela. I'm glad to be here. So you are a certified records manager. I didn't say that after your title. I apologize. Tell us a little bit about what that process was like to become certified and what you, I guess, to put it in simple terms, what do you do every day? Sure. Um, So the CRM, which is the Certified Records Manager, is a certification that's issued by the Institute of Certified Records Managers. And it's really one of the kind of culminating certificates for anyone who works in the records management profession. Uh, It's a fairly involved process. It's uh, six different tests. Five of those are multiple choice, really covering the gamut of records management, things that we do day to day from, you know, life cycle management to also some managerial aspects and some technology aspects. And then the last part of it is an essay component and you go in and you get basically two scenarios and then you write how you would address those scenarios in your professional, you know, role as a records manager. So that was, that was pretty intense. <laughs> that was uh, three hours of nonstop writing and I I don't recommend taking the first five courses in the options that I did, which was I basically took all five back to back to back. That was a little too much, but I just wanted to see what stuck. And I was lucky enough to get all of them to uh, to pass the first time around. So happy to do that. But it it just covers everything that, that I do as a records manager. So you, you wear very many hats in that regard. Uh, the biggest component, of course, is document lifecycle management. So you take the record from its creation, you manage it through its active phase, so where the agency or anyone is actively using the document in whatever form. And then as the value of it diminishes for your day-to-day operations, um, it goes into kind of an inactive phase, and that's where we keep it for however long we're required to keep it, uh, as per its retention is the official word. And then once that retention has been met, it will either be you know, destroyed, or it might be if it has some sort of historical value transferred to state archives or some other preserving agency, but basically it ends there. And there's a lot of policies and guidelines that go along with developing that kind of process. So part of my job is to keep those up to date, make sure they're meeting all appropriate standards, laws, regulations. So some research aspects in that as well. And then, of course, the day-to-day, you know, working with people. There's a lot of questions that we answer, a lot of change <laughs> management, and uh, a lot of just keeping up with training and, and those kind of things. So it's, it's very rewarding, lots of different things we touch on. So in addition to being a records manager, you were also an adjunct professor for a bit at LSU. You work closely with the university. You are very musically inclined you have a pet rabbit. I mean, 
it's just amazing to me all the different facets of who you are as a woman. And I just think that's amazing. It's always something else to learn. I think we spent three days together in Baton Rouge and every day was just so much fun. <laughs> and you did not see me sword fight. So that's the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Tell us about the sword fighting. Yeah, I think having a lot of different life experiences is the most rewarding aspect of being able to have careers and, you know, interacting with a variety of, of people in general. But so we, we do also, uh, we do German longsword. My husband and I were part of a, a local group um, that does HEMA is what it's called, historical um, Eastern or European martial arts. Yeah, and uh, we basically, we get together and we wear, we wear wearing full fencing gear, you know, so uh, I have a uh, 18th century replica of a fencing dress, which is pretty cool. We have to see that. I'll, I'll see if I can dig up a picture for you. Yep. I swear we do learn something new every day with <laughs> Tina. <laughs> I know. I know. So is it like tennis where you guys do doubles with other people or do you fight against each other or? Yes, it's, it is against each other. Uh, it is competitive. I, I do believe it was on either ESPN and one of the great channels picked up one of the major tournaments. Uh, I did not compete wow. in those. But yeah, it is, um, it's usually two minutes timed. And it's, it works like regular French kind of fencing that you probably are familiar with. You know, mm -hmm. you trade blows with your partner and hopefully hit them before they hit you. <laughs> so who's the better sword fighter, you or your husband? Well, my husband is over six feet and 250 pounds, so um, <laughs> I fought him once and I said not ever again. But we do have, we have some women in our club who can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with him in particular, so I'm a little too, too timid on, on that front, but we have some very, very dedicated fighters. They're all very, very good. That's awesome. Yeah, we have to see that for sure. Tell us about how long you've been working in Baton Rouge for, I guess I forgot to mention altogether, you work for Access Sciences. You work closely with the Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality. And how long have you been there on that project? So I've been there uh, pretty much for my entire career at Access Sciences. Uh, so since about December of 2015, so just six years now. Wow. Yeah, and I started out as um, the records analyst where my primary role was overseeing the public records center. So a big component of being a state agency is, of course, making records available to the public. Um, and so I was overseeing more of the complicated requests that we got, whether it was subpoenas or legal discovery proceedings or just, you know, more involved data requests. And then through the years, my role has really grown to incorporate all of these other facets of records management for the agency. So it's been a very rewarding kind of growth journey in my professional development too. So going back to being a CRM, there is a certification that kind of precedes that, right? So yes and no. There is now a kind of embedded certification. So the CRM has six parts, like I mentioned, but the, the there's three parts in the multiple choice section, parts two, three, and four, that are the most, what I would say, record-centric components. So those all kind of touch on the records lifecycle management. And there is now the embedded certification, if you pass those three parts, then you actually get to be a CRA certified records analyst and comes with a couple of uh, benefits really, because you no longer have a time requirement to complete your CRM. So once you have that CRA, you can take the other parts really whenever you like, whenever you feel like you're ready. 
and it gives a nice uh, immediate kind of return on investment if you need to show your boss, hey, you know, this is really worthwhile pursuing. Here, I've passed these three parts. I can definitely do this. You know, I'm, I'm already got a little bit of a certification. Now let me go on and, you know, finish off the series. And the neat thing about, you mentioned my work with LSU a little bit. Um, the LSU has a certificate of records management certificate program where once you go through that program, it's entirely online, then you are actually coming out and you're already a CRA. So nice. the, they, they work closely with the ICRM and fu it fulfills that initial um, requirement for completing those parts. And our most recent higher ed at, uh, at uh, DEQ who joined us, Stormy Ravet, she actually came out of that program. She did an internship with me at DEQ and she's been phenomenal in every aspect. So we hired her to be part of this project. And so she has her CRA now is going to go on and sit for the CRM part six. So that's awesome. Is the certification through ARMA or is it a standalone certification program? It's a uh, different, uh, so it's the cert uh, the Institute of Certified Records Managers. Uh, they work obviously closely with ARMA, but they are an independent um, accrediting body. So is the certification something you recommend for anybody who's in records management? I would think so. It's it's a really, mm -hmm. it's kind of a tried and true um you know, credential that that really is worth having. And that means something to those who are in the records management right. circle, because it's, it is that thorough and pretty much encompasses everything that we do. Mm -hmm. I forgot to mention, you're also the ARMA board president in Baton Rouge. I am. So uh, ARMA um, has a Baton Rouge chapter and glad to say I've been on the board for a while now and this is my second year as president. So I must be doing something right. <laughs> um, no, but we have a very good group of, uh, of dedicated, very, very hardworking records managers uh, in the area. And what we do is we usually put on a once a month meeting get together tends to be the first Wednesday of the month and we just get everyone together. Sometimes we'll have a speaker, sometimes we'll do, you know, what's your problem at your work? How can we all kind of help each other troubleshoot? Or, you know, sometimes it's just, hey, let's get together and just, you know, sit and chat kind of thing. So making connections with some business components and getting some different uh, input from others is always helpful. Are you seeing any trends among the membership or any common challenges that other records managers are having? So a lot of our chapter is state agency centric. Um, we do have some private sectors. Uh, we have a couple of uh, law firms, a couple of energy, um, electronic, uh, electricity sector. Uh, so for the most part, everyone is struggling with converting to electronic records. So most of the state agencies by nature tend to be very paper heavy, but also most law firms tend to be paper heavy. And so we've had a lot of conversations the last couple of years of, you know, how do you move to electronic record systems? How do you make them available to your, you know, workers? That was the hot topic last year because DEQ is very fortunate in that we have a public facing online system that makes our records available, whether to the public or internal. You know, so it was easy for us to pivot to work from home, even as a state agency, but most agent agencies aren't there. So, you know, they had to shift rather rapidly to a somewhat, you know, how do you, how do I make my records accessible format? And that, that question has come up a lot in the last couple. I remember whenever we were there, we were talking about the digital mailroom 
and getting the mail scanned when everyone was working from home. Mm-hmm. That, that was, was something I'd never even thought of, but made total sense once you mentioned that. Yeah, that was a, a really interesting project that uh, where basically the, the seventh floor had to be quarantined for COVID, which was also the mail processing floor for our agency. So no one was allowed to go in. The The normal mail staff had to work from home. So we came up with kind of a stand-up solution on the fly because we have a obviously a scanning program in place. But we said, okay, we're going to take the mail. We'll have one dedicated person. They're going to scan it all in, into kind of a, a holding area. And then that way we make that available to the regular mail processing staff and they will index it and route it to the correct person that it needs to go to and they didn't lose you know any processing time or being able to work on the documents right then and there yeah that's fascinating i saw in a cofax report that that's also something that was a priority for i think 77 percent of the respondents so I'm i sure. guess it's a big trend mm-hmm. with people continuing to work from home or remotely no matter where they are that makes perfect sense Also, I remember us chatting about the desire for people to buy software to solve their problems. Right, right. People people think software is the solution. What are your thoughts on that? I think that is a very common mindset or, you know, a common thought you think of us, you know, we want an immediate solution that addresses all of our problems. And so especially when it comes to records management, which has really so many like interconnected and moving parts. We want to have that one solution that we can simply, you know, purchase, plug in and, and it goes. And I think the problem that most will run into is if you don't have a solid records management program that can, you know, take whatever software you're trying to purchase and integrate it into your existing agency processes, you're going to end up with a program that, yes, it could do all those things, but no one can really tell you how to do them within the software. And you have no one that can provide, you know, the training, the indexing, the structure, et cetera, that you need to actually find the information once you dump it in there. So it it's, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's easy to sell software to executives because I can say, you know, hey, for $500 a month, we can have this amazing tool that will solve all of our problems. But it doesn't really. When, when you really get to the nitty gritty, it's, yes, it has the potential to, but we still need to make sure our input data is clean, our records are being managed appropriately, and, you know, we, we provide the training for everyone to get to the records they need so yeah it's 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 very much it's, it's hard to explain that in in a way that demonstrates that return of investment on the on the underlying the foundational element of, of records management so you guys just rolled out a new electronic document management system earlier this year and i know we talked about um you know training being a big part of that how's the train how did the training go or how is it going so we did. So we, we had a um, our EDMS system has been in place for a good 15 years. Um, and so mm-hmm. it was time for a facelift for sure. So our new system <laughs> is a lot easier to search. It looks much better, um, integrates well. Um, but of course, with that came, you know, managing change for 
A, the people who had been in the agency for such a long time, you know, they were used to the old system and also, of course, making sure our public members can access the information we have on there. So we did a lot of initial training. Uh, we, we put together some help videos that walked through the major functions. We did a lot of written, you know, fact sheets. We also did some presentations to the public on the new functionality and we thought we had it pretty well covered. What we did now was we actually did a, hey, it's been four months. Tell us your opinion. You know, how is it going? How, what do you think of the system? And it was funny because so we launched our survey and, you know, we get that first response. And one of the questions was, you know, tell us which one you prefer. You know, do you prefer classic, our old EDMS or the new one? And the very first response was like classic. And we're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this ended up being a, a really, really helpful response because the person whoever it was, took the time to really lay out what it was they missed from the old system. Mm -hmm. And pretty much every point they made was something where we said, oh, but you can do that. Here's, you know, here's how. But it really showed us where our um, training gaps were, um, right. where we hadn't communicated well. So when we send our, you know, two weeks, hey, the survey is still up, please keep taking it email. We included some initial, we also noticed this, you know, as a question, here's a quick how to do that. So it's guiding our future training initiatives and what we're going to put into fact sheets going forward. Change can be hard, right? Very much so, yes. <laughs> Especially one where, you know, you've worked with the system. We have staff who've seen it, you know, that they used to work in the file rooms when everything was paper and they've seen it grow from, you know, the very small set to the seven something document million documents that it is today so it's 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 up there and anyone listening can read the case study that we have posted on our website and learn more about it one of the things that i learned by going through that process with you all is the faceted search and the value it brings internally to the organization not just externally right so as um, a search feature in this, this new system, we, we essentially uh, used our indexing values to allow users to drill down by just clicking on one of the, the fastest filters, uh, very similar to like a modern day um, search that you'll find in the major, you know, any retailer really on their website where you, you know, we, we have a lot of, let's say, permit documents, you click on the word permit, it will show you everything that, that has permit in the indexing scheme. But it helped us really do some quick data cleanup. So for example, we knew that from the very, very beginning that the system was first initiated, there was a lot of data issues around dates. So we had some dates that never populated or that populated with the wrong date. Um, and they summarily got a 1901 date to identify it in the system, but it was very hard to find those. Well, with the facets, you can simply click on the date category and you literally click on 1901, it pulls up all those documents. So we actually did a cleanup effort and got rid of all of those. So all of those are addressed now, but it's been really helpful for these kind of initiatives too. Access Answers is owned and operated by Access Sciences. We design, implement, and operate integrated solutions to manage information, unlocking its full value throughout its life cycle. We do so by applying creative minds, diverse experiences, and a passion for problem solving. If you're interested in partnering with Access Sciences, send us an email at info at accesssciences.com. 
So I'm going to pivot back to the personal side of things because the hot topic when we were in town visiting was about your new bunny. And you got to tell that story because it's a great story. <laughs> sure. So it was, I guess, almost like four months now. It was back in October. We were um, totally unrelated doing a refinance on our house. And we were in the process of signing documents. And one of our, our friends turned around and said, oh, my gosh, you got a bunny on the porch. And, of course, we're like, no. And sure enough, turn around, there, there is a, a bunny sitting just on the driveway and chilling out. And so we... Um, couldn't do anything that night because it was getting too dark. So next morning I went out there and sure enough, Bunny had made itself a home under our porch. Aww. So we said, okay, fine, you know, commence operation rescue Bunny. <laughs> and so I went to work and I left my husband in charge of said operation. <laughs> and so about halfway through the day, like, you know, I get a message and he's like, yeah, I'm still working on it. But there was a complication and like there was a, a dog <laughs> at the at the back porch door now so they had to keep the dog from chasing the bunny chased the dog across like two different neighbors yards luckily someone else took care of the dog and it was reunited with its owner and Good. when yeah when i got home um they were still trying to catch the bunny so between uh three of us we were able to get her into a carrier and um you know we we posted flyers and everything of course around the neighborhood but no one ever came to claim her and um, initially she was supposed to go to Houston that fell through. And at that point I was hopelessly attached. So we said, Nope, you know what? <laughs> We're just gonna take the bunny. bunny in has and that on you. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's been a very much a, a joy in my life for the last four months. And we do have four cats. So, you know, they had to, uh, make some room on the upstairs. And it was funny because I just got done wrapping Christmas presents and, uh, you know, tried to like put it all under the, the tree my husband comes in and is like oh my gosh are all of those for me and i'm like yeah no um so this is all the cat and the bun presents like Aww. you know i think two out of those are for you <laughs> uh, she's she's definitely getting spoiled rotten she's very much a cute little thing yeah you said something over dinner that i thought was hilarious you said having a pet bunny is basically what was it just trying to keep it from from dying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I've, I've learned more about bunny husbandry in the last like four months, but they're, they're very fragile creatures. So you have to be very specific about what you feed them or they die and you can't get them too excited or they, you know, get excited and die or, you know, they might decide, <laughs> oh no, this is all too much. I'm giving up on life. And, you know, it's, it, it really is amazing that, uh, you know, they, they're able to stick around and of course you have to bunny proof your entire home because uh, as, as the, the um, you know colloquial reddit saying goes they go after the spicy hay which of course is any cable that you may have laying around in, in your facility whether it's your phone charger or your refrigerator cord or mm -hmm. even the plastic under your you know like water tank on, on the toilet you don't want them chewing through that so yeah oh, definitely <laughs> not Nope, it's been it's been fun, but she's got her little Buntopia 2.0 setup. You know, has a fairly extensive uh, little cage setup, and they do use um, you know a litter box. So she's got her little area, and yeah, she's been just bunnying around. Good. You have to share her name. Oh, her name is Beatrice Cinnabon. <laughs> yeah, affectionately known as Lady B. <laughs> yeah. Well, good to hear she's doing good. 
Also, while we were there visiting, we learned that you had been called to testify. Right. So um, I am, you know, the one of the delegated public records custodians for our agency. And, and as part of that responsibility, uh, you do occasionally uh, have to go to court. And basically what you do is you, you talk about the records under your custody. So generally, you know, you go up, you give an affidavit and you say, yes, you know, I am who I am. I'm, you know, of sound mind and all of that. And yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh, yep, I am today. And, you know, and then the main questions are, you know, were those records created in the regular course of business? And you say yes. Or you may, as in, in this case, is, you know, give some background on uh, what was done uh, during a public records request or, you know, what led you to find the document or not find the document, those kind of things. On a scale of one to 10, how intimidating was that? So this one, not so much because I wasn't as one might consider in the hot scene. I'm, <laughs> I'm tangentially, so it's not really about what I did. It's more of a, you know, a tangential finding of, oh, they, they weren't able to, you know, do X, Y, and Z without going into the details. It's very formal. Um, mostly it's a lot of waiting. <laughs> so a lot of sitting and waiting to be called, but it's... Sometimes interesting, sometimes, you know, ah, you know, got to do that again. But uh, we do also uh, occasionally issue just affidavits. So usually that's sufficient. It's just, uh, you know, basically a written statement saying those exact things. And most of the time that's accepted. Yeah, that's good to know. It's not as scary as it sounds. Definitely not in this case. <laughs> we got to see the process from... I don't know if it's necessarily start to finish. It's not the full life cycle of the document, but from the time the document is scanned with the barcode and entered into the COFAX and how then it goes into the EDMS system that you talked about. The COFAX report I read recently talked about intelligent documents and their use of AI. Have you read anything about that? Or would you say what we're doing is in that realm? intelligent use of the AI, I don't think in this particular case, um, I do think there would potentially be some value in like exploring that for using it inside the agency. Um, so we provide most of our um, indexing by hand. So the staff person, you know, inputs the indexing values. Um, if it were possible to get to a point where basically the content is recognized automatically, and then the indexing created based on that, that would certainly be a major benefit, I think, to the agency, just in terms of being able to go, you know, faster through their documents. Um, we're not quite there yet, um, at least not from what I'm aware of. Uh, we do have a very large volume, I guess, uh, of electronically generated records. And for those, it would absolutely be, you know, super, super helpful. Another area that I could see that being implemented would be email management. So if we, you know, went to a system and I mean, every agency, every company, I'm sure is struggling with the volume of email. And especially for us, you know, we're, we're still a little cumbersome in the processing of email. We have to convert them to PDF, ingest it into our system, COFAX in this case, and then send it through to our EDMS um, so if there was some sort of like plugin button that, you know, you shoot it over, it indexes it automatically based on whatever um, contents and then sends it on, that would be, that would be super helpful for sure. 
And that's not for every email, right? Only emails that are deemed right. records? So these are, yeah, we, we distinguish, of course, between, you know, official agency records, which is, uh, in a nutshell, everything that uh, either supports or documents a, an official action. Email, surprisingly, 85% or so, keeping in mind, 75% of all statistics are made up on the spot, but about 85% <laughs> um, of, of email um, is usually a non-record or sometimes what we call a transitory record. So something that might have value in the moment or until it's been incorporated un, you know, under some official record, and then that will surpass the email itself. So you know, email, yes, there definitely you want to save it to be records only that goes into the formal system. You don't want to save those emails back and forth about where you're eating lunch that day. No, those are definitely non-records, and <laughs> you should definitely delete your non-records. <laughs> Just to cut down on the volume. Yeah. And then once the document, we haven't really talked about the retention schedule side of it or disposition. Right. So how does that work? So most agents or really most companies are that, that are managing their records, uh, they will have some form of what, what's called the retention schedule usually. And the schedule basically lays out all these records that we have that fall under this group, which is called a record series, um, generally of the same length that they need to be kept. All of those will be kept for X amount of years based on this and this trigger event. And so for us, uh, as an agency, we have, of course, our administrative records. And then we also have our, what I'm going to call the environmental records. So the, the records that relate to our activities as a environmental agency. So, you know, permitting, inspection, enforcement, those things. Uh, for most of those records, our retention schedule specifies those are pretty much forever. So for the life of the agency, we're, we're going to be bound to keep them. Uh, for the administrative records, that's more like, you know, your HR, your, your fiscal, those kind of things. Those have some shorter retentions um, that come into play. And really all that means is how long do I have to keep the record until I can dispose of that, whether that's destroying it or transferring it to, you know, a historical archive or something. I remember whenever I first started with Access Sciences four years ago, the concept of the records retention schedule and records management was new to me because IT was my background, not specifically records or records management. But then I started thinking about my own personal record keeping and right. all the files that my parents would keep. And they used to have their checkbook stubs and receipts for things. Do you, I'm curious if you have a, as a certified records manager, if, how you manage your personal records. So I tend to be very paper light um, and I have fallen into the trap that converting it to electronic means, you know, it's not paper, so it's okay to keep it forever. <laughs> so, I mean, on the paper front, I'm great, you know, <laughs> um, but no, it, it, you know, retention obviously applies regardless of medium. So, you know, for most people that the best example is your tax returns, you know, how long do you have to keep those? And like within that, you know, you Okay, you should keep them for seven years, but all the everything, you know, you really only need to keep for three years, assuming you don't cheat on your taxes, you know, <laughs> because that's the statutory <laughs> audit period or, you know, maybe, yeah, but um, 
you know, so there's there are certain set periods that you have for your official documents. Certain things uh, you probably want to keep forever. Um, an interesting one that's cropped up lately is, you know, as a consumer with with HSA documents, like, mm-hmm. so you need to be able to substantiate your purchases, but how long do you actually have to keep your records? And there's currently no real clear guidance of, you know, how long or what you would even need to substantiate your purchases so with those you know I, that's why I, I say I, like paper light like I scan everything into its own folder um, organization in this case is also key you know you want to be able to find your one receipt from 2000 whenever so I usually have like an annual folder and I just put it in there sort of categorized by whose expense it is and then whatnot so I can probably improve. I did recently call all my academic uh, papers from my student days. So I got rid of most of those, assuming I would need them again, which of course means tomorrow I will absolutely need them. Definitely. (laughs) Well, you're a step ahead of my sister. Both of you have your PhDs and I think she's still holding on to a lot of her paperwork from she would kill me for saying this, but the early to mid nineties. So <laughs> she's storing that paper for a very long time. Well, I have not yet a uh, long time ago. Uh, you, you mentioned my musical interest. I, I did a paper on the prepared piano and what a prepared piano is. It was uh, something championed by John Cage, a composer uh, where he basically took hardware, mostly screws and put it in between the strings, which alters the soundscape of the piano and, Part of my dissertation was focused on the materials, so I actually have an extensive screw collection <laughs> that I used to prepare um, the different, you know, uh, piano tunes and setups. And I have not gotten rid of those yet, although it's probably time. So while we're on this topic, you have to tell the audience about your educational background because you got it all. You got the bachelor's, master's, PhD. <laughs> Right. So I should probably preface this. I'm originally from from Germany. I came to the United States uh, doing an exchange year in in high school and uh, really fell in love with, you know, the country, the people and and everything about my host family was great and looked and decided to go to college in, in the U.S. and was able to get with a very, very fantastic piano teacher back in Virginia at the time uh, where I did my undergrad except that my first year at the college there uh, my piano teacher decided to go to Mississippi so she said no you need to come with me so I followed her and her husband down to Millsaps College in Mississippi and finished my undergrad in music and then I was fortunate enough to get a very uh, good scholarship to go to LSU in Louisiana where I did my master's and PhD in musicology and then decided I really liked the research side of it more so than the academic side um, in terms of what I want to do every day. I do enjoy teaching a lot, but there's a lot um, on the making documents accessible to um, the public in general that that I really identify with. So I ended up getting yet another master's in library science, and that's how I ended up here. So what does what does your office look like? Are the degrees just all like taking up your entire <laughs> no, no, I actually I, I have not displayed any of mine because they all, all have uh, apostilles, which um, 
uh, is uh, a document you need if you want to like uh, substantiate your degree in a foreign country. So I had to get apostilles for all of them to like show Germany that I actually completed my education. So they they have like you know the fancy certificate and then like the stamp and like long piece of paper with all the the signatures verified on it. So one of these days I might get a display copy of one of them. But you have to, yeah. <laughs> Yes, you did all that work. Time to show it off. Yep. I say that, but then my my diploma is sitting somewhere in a box right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not much better about that. Mine is still in the original tube that it came in on graduation day. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're all failures on displaying our accomplishments. <laughs> Maybe that's our goal for the year in 2022. We're going to display our accomplishments and be proud of the work we did. It's a nice should. goal. We should. Yeah. It was funny because like in my day-to-day where I, I don't necessarily use the doctor title, but teaching for LSU over the summer was the first time where like really, like actually I got to be called like Dr. Gibson, you know, like for like my day-to-day <laughs> interactions. It's, you know, both very humbling, but also, you know, reassuring that yes, you know, you do earn it. You really should you know, use it in that regard. It's easy to put oneself, you know, in the, oh, well, I don't want to, you know, but uh, yeah, be, be proud of your accomplishments. You earned them. So what's it like being back on the LSU campus as a professor versus a student? So the worst part, it, it's, it's very rewarding. It's fun. But the worst part about it was, you know, when I was at LSU for a long time going through, you know, two masters and a PhD, and they used my very original um, student picture as the faculty profile picture <laughs> for my students. So I'm like, hmm, <laughs> do I change it or not? Because on the one hand, you know, I'm a lot slimmer, but I'm also slightly old now. Well, <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, it was it was it was very fun. I, I enjoyed it very much. Be back on, be on the other side of the fence. Yeah. Well, Tina, thank you for being our guest for January 2022. Uh, look forward to working with you next year. Seeing you in person more often. Coming to Houston for Arma Houston, and seeing you in Nashville for Arma International. Um, and celebrating all of our successes together as a company and your work with DEQ. So thank you for being here and continuing to wear the title of most interesting person (laughs) in Access Sciences. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure having um, to get to chat with you on this and appreciate everything you do. Thank you all so much. (laughs) 